Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Well, today I'm going to begin with uh, some review, just like Brandon did um, from yesterday. And again, uh, the, the reason for this is, is we are hoping that a session like this can um, help us to realign, to reevaluate, and then re-engage. And so there might be some things that I say today that you're going to go, man, I forgot about that. That's true. That's, that's good. That's helpful. And so you'll see on the notes, we're going to talk about creation of Christ. And I gave you kind of like an overview of that in, in the event that you needed some of those resources. Now, hey, hey, Brandon, um, did we get the document that Anna made printed? Did we end up printing that? It is online. So at lffellowship.com, and then you have forward slash... C2C. Now, the two is actually the numerical two, creation to Christ. Um, we have a document that Anna Ryan uh, made, and I was able just to look over it for the first time this last week, and it's, it's close to 50 to 60 pages, and it is an excellent resource. And so if you didn't write that down, you're missing out. I'm, I'm just telling you, lffellowship.com slash c Two, the, the number two, C, and there is the PDF of, of that document. Am I right? And, and the other resources that we've had in the beginning, which are much shorter than that. That's a, that's a thorough and, and wonderful resource. And that resource was made not so that you can hand it out to individuals that are um, in your group. That's for you, the facilitator. That, that's an aid. That's a resource for you. And so you may actually really benefit from that. So I wanted to make sure that either we had hard copies or probably better, actually, an electronic version to where you can have access to that. So the creation to Christ, actually, you know what, let's pray before we get started um, and uh, just ask the Lord for his blessing over our time. Uh, Father, we do thank you so much for uh, what you are doing here. And God, we just ask, Lord, would you please continue to move? And um, God, I confess that if I... uh, If I'm just going to speak from my logic or from my intellect, um, it's not going to be beneficial to anyone. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to move this morning, to continue moving. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to make choices today, that we'd make decisions as to how we're going to serve you. And and God, we're talking about methodology, and you know that that it's the message that matters. But I pray that you'd help us to um, take some learning today that we would be able to uh, learn some, some methods, some ideas on how to be effective in your work. And so, Lord, have your way this morning. God, we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So the creation to Christ study, if, 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 if discovery Bible method is, is a methodology, creation to Christ would be a curriculum. If we looked about it in that way, it's, it's a curriculum. Now, it's a very broad, high-level curriculum in the sense that really all we're doing is, is providing a resource of particular texts, passages that you may want to actually uh, study and, and, and give out for, in an evangelistic manner. But the creation of Christ study, it, 
It is a Bible study that brings us from the creation account to the cross. And so it was created to help believers, you and I, to give a contextualized gospel to the lost. We're looking to give a gospel that has context. Brandon was talking about that uh, yesterday in regards to Discovery Bible Method, and we were talking about, we were, we were studying Philippians 2, but we mentioned the need sometimes to provide context so that people understand what we're saying. I think I've told this story before, but I was the college and young adult pastor here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and I was ministering to a young lady who had a Catholic background from the Art Institute. She came to church one Sunday and, and heard me preach, and she comes forward and she goes, I know what you did. I see what you're doing. And what I was doing is I was, I was using cross-references. I was just comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, right? And, and, and I was using cross-references. She goes, I get it, I see it. You're using all these things to prove your point. And I was like, no, <laughs> like that's the opposite of what I was doing. But can you see how from a person who's, who's not a believer, how they could, they could think that because I was just cherry-picking all these verses that it looked as if I was trying to just prove my theory or my thesis. And so we, you gotta th you're thinking, well, why would they ever think that? Well, because they don't come from the same like, uh, base as you. Do you guys get where I'm going with this? And so the Creation to Christ study is, is trying to give context an overview of the scriptures so people can understand the rationale, the need for the gospel. And so instead of beginning with the cross, the believer begins with our creation. We, we begin with our creation. And the hope is for all of us to see that we were created with great purpose. And again, we, we talk about this in the, in the Evangelistic Bible Studies Part 1, and this is just an overview but, but I want to say this to you guys once again, that if we're not letting people know that they matter to God, that, that, that their lost soul matters, if we're, not, if we're not introducing to them and letting them know that they were made, created with, with incredible purpose, man, I think you're missing out. We're missing out. And so we want that to be something that's known, that we weren't created on a whim or that we weren't some process of evolution but that we were created, that the reason for our existence was to bring glory and honor and praise to God, our creator. And so in this, we see that we don't have to look for our purpose. Even believers today are, and pastors today are, are telling you, find your purpose. It's already been given. It's, it's already available to us. And I get we can talk about the universal will of God versus the personal plan of God. And, and, and as we begin to follow his will, we, we, we will soon begin to discover the particular details of his plan for you within the structure of the local church under the submission of, of the leaders in your life. I get that. But the reality is at this stage, at this level, what we want to communicate is that you were pre-programmed with a purpose. That, that you don't have to look for it. And, and, and how many of you guys have heard that, even from, from Christians, that, 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 that hey, what's, you got to find your purpose, as if it's some particular thing, and I'm saying, like, it's already been given. It, we, we all have it. Your purpose, my purpose, the world's purpose is to glorify and praise and honor the Lord, and someday, whether they like it or not, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, right? Well, let's do it on this side of eternity. 
And, and, and so we want to start there. And so in this, we're not looking for our purpose. It's already been given. And so once, once we lay the foundation that you were created with a purpose in mind from your creator, then we hope to begin to answer the question, and we're leading them to this, of why Jesus? Why Jesus? In this study, the, the biblical texts, they provide context so you can deliver the complete story of the gospel. I'm all for Romans Road, and I'm, I'm all for uh, the, the, the immediate need to share the gospel boldly and directly and in a confrontational manner as the Lord gives you opportunity. This is just another method. This is just another opportunity to where you may have an, a, a way in which you can sit down over a period of time and in a contextual manner provide the gospel to someone else. And so we're delivering the complete story of the gospel. And, and so it's not only what the gospel is, it's not just, well, what is the gospel? But really we're trying to answer the question, why the gospel? What, what's, what, why is there a need for the gospel? Why is there a need for good news? And so our desire is for all people to see you've established by God's grace, using the word of God, you were created with purpose. And guys, you can do that in Genesis 1. You can do that in the very first study. There is a purpose to your existence. How many people, young people, how many people do you know that you personally know are struggling with anxiety, depression, suicidal tendencies, right? I'm not asking for a, a show of hands, but listen, that's real right now. That's real right now. And you want to know why? Because they have no purpose or they haven't located it. And they're, in, and they're searching for it, not knowing that God, their creator, already gave it to them. And so even before the cross, you're answering pivotal, incredible questions for them that could give them so much hope. I'm talking just for living, let alone the more important matters of their eternal salvation. You can, you can begin to give them hope in the midst of their sin, of their hurt. And so we're establishing purpose that, 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 that they can know that they were made with a purpose. Man, before you were saved, wasn't that what you were looking for? And what's the whole meaning of this? And then we, we begin to answer the question of not just what is the gospel. I think a lot of us are pretty good at telling what the gospel is, but why the gospel? Why am I, why, why do we want to give the gospel and why should I even listen to you? And throughout this process, what, what the hope is, is, and what my desire is, is that people will then realize as we study the Bible, not what I think, not what you think, but as we study the scriptures, what they will realize is that they are sinners, that we're all sinners. And that sin, what does that sin do to us with God? It separates us. So our sin, and so now, when you go, you need to get saved, the, the person who's lost is like, cool, man, I get it, I've heard that kind of talk, but like, I'm good. No, no, your sin, biblically speaking, has separated you from your creator. And yet the story of the word of God and the story of the gospel is that your creator wants to be reconciled to you again. You can't do that in and of yourself. You have no ability or agency 
to accomplish that task, but God, he, as, as we get to it, made a way for you. But before we get to he made a way, we have to realize that you had no way and that your sins separated you from your creator. Otherwise, without the recognition of sin, there's no need for a savior. And so simply put, to be saved, you must first realize you're lost. You guys, is this, some of you guys are like, man, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm tracking, we've, we've been doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, but isn't it still encouraging to like, kind of like walk through it and be like, man, that's right, that's right. Some of you guys I know are using this, this, this curriculum, if you will, and, and it's, it's encouraging just to walk through it. In, in my mind, it's, I'm encouraged just walking through it myself, being like, man, God, that is what you did. And so as an overview, I think I have this in your notes as well, there are eight different landmarks. Maybe some of you guys think this way when you're going through the Bible study. What have we accomplished so far? Because, man, when you're dealing with relationships, doesn't it get murky at times? Where are we? <laughs> right? like, what's going on? Where, where, are we, where are we in this study? You know, the example of the Betty example, like, like what are we accomplishing? You know, maybe Betty's like throwing up on us all the problems of her life, but like, what are we doing now? And sometimes it can be uh, deflating because we're getting nowhere. Well, maybe a landmark you can, you can look back to is, have we established biblically that there's a God? That there is a God. Have we, have we whether they agree with it or not, we, we can't determine that, but, but do they recognize that God created us and the universe? Have we established these landmarks? The fall of man, that, that, that there, there is a God, he created you with purpose, and yet man fell away from that purpose that God intended. We have no ability to accomplish that purpose in and of ourselves, so we've fallen away from him. And we are now separated from God because our sin separates us from a holy God. We, we look to the law. God then provides a law, which is a reflection of God's character, and so the law reflects the perfect character of God, which proves to reason that we could not, what, accomplish it. We couldn't do it. And then we see in the scriptures, this is the great thing about the word of God and the great thing about the Old Testament. It guides us and it shows us that, listen, no matter how many times the nation of Israel, which is our ensample, and, 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 and we look to them for all the things that they struggled with and all the things that we struggle with, and, oh man, they failed to accomplish the law. And so we see man's inability to live up to God's perfect character. And then Christ shows up. This is the great part of the story is that we couldn't do it, but Christ could. This is the why. And we're getting to the what now. We're finally getting to the what. And we see that he lived the perfect life and he became man and he's relatable, but not only relatable, but he leads us. And so he dies on the cross in our place. No other way for man to be redeemed. And then that last point. We establish the resurrection. Christ, having never sinned, he raises from the dead, defeating death. And so that's one of the, the, the tools that we use in DBM, or Discovery Bible Method, is the creation to Christ study. And, and if you're in this room, you've already probably heard me go on and on about this, but I hope, that's, I hope it was beneficial to hear it again. And, 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 and maybe if you've been doing it for a season, you're thinking, now that was good, I... I needed to remember those landmarks. I needed to remember about, you know, no, we are born with a purpose. Let's start there. Let's not just try to make a race to the cross. We're trying to get there. 
but we're trying to establish context so that they, when they hear the, the, the gospel, they understand why. And so the next st- section we have in our notes is, is the philosophy of an evangelistic Bible study. Now, if we were to speak philosophically about this topic, you know, we, we know that, that creation to Christ and DBM, these are just strategies. It's a method and a curriculum. But what are they trying to create? Right? What they're trying to create are opportunities where the gospel can be given to those in your community. It, these are, we're just looking for opportunities to engage the community. From this vantage point, our Bible studies are not some new invention. We're not trying to create some new thing, the, the new cutting edge thing by which now you're going to double your church size. This is not a church growth platform or methodology. We're trying to engage the community that we live in with the word of God and with the gospel. All we're trying to do is to continue in the pattern that was given to us in Matthew 28. That's all we're trying to do. Man, if, if, if you want to explore other strategies, and I believe many of our churches and many of our people are, there's many strategies, there's many opportunities. That's not the point of this. All we're trying to do is provide a resource by which you can engage the community with the word of God for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And so whatever strategy you want to use, man, that's between you and the Lord. But the only thing that we must continue to look for is this. Whatever strategy it is, it must accomplish these things. Are we, go, are we fulfilling the Great Commission by going? Are we going? Well, this accomplishes that. Are we teaching? And then from that place, as they begin to receive the Word of God and they receive the gospel, are we then allowing them to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? And then from that place, they're now engaged in the church and we're teaching them to observe those things that are given by the word of God, and we're going to do it until the end of the world. That's, what, that's the philosophy of an evangelistic Bible study, whether it's here in the States or abroad. Secondly, it also should be noted that our Bible studies, if they will be effective generationally, if our Bible studies will be effective generationally, they must continue, Right? They must continue in the pattern of our church planting. If your Bible study is just a place for fellowship or for a doctrinal deep dive, listen, I'm not trying to clown that right now. That's not my my heart's intent. That, That will be fun, but is it accomplishing the Great Commission? That's the only thing that I'm going to ask about that. And there will be seasons that your Bible study will ebb and flow and and where they'll be lost and there won't be. But I I think one of the things that we always have to ask ourselves as we are involved in the work of God is what I'm doing accomplishing the Great Commission, which heavily involves making disciples. Am I doing that? And so so maybe your Bible study goes through some ebb or flow, and maybe it doesn't follow this methodology at all. I don't—that's really immaterial to me. The question, though, is in in regards to the evangelistic efforts that we have, in particular what we're talking about, evangelistic Bible studies, if we want them to to continue in a generational manner, they have to go past the doctrinal deep dive. They have to go past just the great time of fellowship together. 
They have to accomplish something. Everything that we do has to in some way point back to the Great Commission. And if it doesn't do that, we got to get rid of it. We just have to. And so here's the thing. When you do ministry in your local church, you have to be asking yourself that question. Is what I'm doing accomplishing the Great Commission? And the great thing is, is, is that that AV and hospitality and, and security and worship and the preaching of God's word and, and, and teaching the children, that in some manner all of those things work together to accomplish that great goal of accomplishing the Great Commission. But in the context of, of our time today, does your evangelistic efforts or do, does your study of the scriptures, does your time with, with the Lord and with one another in, with, with the Lord, does it point to and accomplish the Great Commission in your life and in the lives of those around you? To me, when I think of, of Discovery Bible Method or some type of small group Bible study and creation to Christ as an example, I just want my, my Bible studies, I want the ministries at Living Faith, I want them to mimic how our church plant was planted. I want, to, I want them to mimic how we continue to make churches. Because here's the thing, and we were having a conversation the other day, yesterday, at lunch about this very topic. Could a church, if they wanted to plant a new work in another region, and, and they had the resources to do it, could that church just simply throw some cash at it, and listen, I'm not being funny here, and send, and, and, and send 150 people, and we got insta-church, could they do that? I'm not being cynical here. Could, what's, what's the answer? You guys don't trust me. I'm not going to answer you. They absolutely could. And listen, it can be effective because when you, when you have a good church that has good DNA and they send their people with a key man and they have the key resources and they have the, the financial support, listen, you can get traction like that. I mean, you can move. And you guys are like, but, right? There is a but, because here's the thing. Even though you can, and, 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 and with, the, with the, the, the right context, the right leadership, that can be really effective, and you can instantly move into your community. But can you guys see the, the, the opposite can be true if our churches begin, and it sounds like what Thomas is about to do in Portland. If our churches begin from a place of, you know what we do? We just study the Bible together. And we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to put the Bible in people's lives. And, and, and well, what else do you do? Um, we're going to look for more opportunities to do that. And we're going to keep doing that. Can you guys see how this is just who we are? This is just what we are. And so it is inerrant to the culture of that new church plant that what we do is, well, we do Bible studies. We share the Bible with people. Can you guys see the danger? Oh, I'm not, and listen, I'm not trying to be critical. Of it could happen. It could be excellent because you have momentum right away. You, can, you have force right away. I'll tell you, when we were an early church plant, we'd have, we'd, have, we'd have families come in with their kids, and we don't have kids their age at all. And you know what the families do? <laughs> they walk out. Man, there's times I wish, oh, I just wish we had a third grader. <laughs> I wish we had a third grader. I wish we had a third grade class. <laughs> I, I wish we had another junior high kid. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? It's not an issue of like, boom, you know, big church that has the resources. Come on, guys. 
We got, we got to be, be smart about this. We want to be biblical about this. All I'm saying is, though, with the, with the methodology of, of, of starting Bible studies in our communities, can you see how all we're saying is, just keep doing that. What you're being taught to do in your own local assembly to be evangelistic, just keep doing that. And at some point, that's what happened with us, at some point we got so far, not, it's not crazy, but we got about 30 to 35 minutes away from Midtown, and we were trying to say, come with us, come to my church. And they're going, ah, we're good. And all of a sudden we realized, wow, we believe that just by doing what we were told to do here by the leadership of my pastor, Sam, all of a sudden it became evident, I don't think this is just another one of the Bible studies. I think God might be doing something more. Maybe I'm rambling, but do you guys understand my heart with this? There's nothing wrong with, with the dumping some money, throwing people at it. It, especially if the culture of the established church is good, it could be awesome. But can you see how they could say, well, we're good, we're, we got everything we need, we got the resources, we got the people to tithe, let's start having church. And the desperation for God to move might not be there. Anyway, I, that's neither here nor there, but, but for me, at Living Faith, the desire I have is that if we're going to keep planting churches, we're going to do it with an open Bible open Bible in, in people's homes, in neighborhoods, in coffee shops, and we're just going to see what God does. Maybe God will provide an opportunity later on for us to just go, here's 50 people and a bunch of money. Praise the Lord. I'm not against it. But, but really where my heart is, if we can start this way with an evangelistic spirit where the Bible's open in people's lives, let's just see what God would do. And then everyone who comes in, new people that are getting baptized, you know what we do? Well, I'm going to this church because a, a Bible was open and it changed my life. How can I be a part of that? And so now it's just in the DNA of, of our, our church planting. Okay, so we've talked about creation of Christ, and we've talked about the philosophy behind evangelistic Bible studies. But how do I make sure my Bible study is healthy to begin with? Now, a few years ago, we included this in part one of the breakout session, and, and it's been maybe two, maybe even three years since I've taught this. I think it's been three years now. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's some people that have not heard this. But, it, but if this is overview, I apologize. So I want to begin. If you want to hold on to that healthy dynamic in your Bible study, I want to give you guys five points that, that uh, I think I wrote about in, a, in a, a blog post a few years back, too. Let's begin. If you want a healthy Bible study, it's going to require these five things, and number one is obedience. Okay, so we're not talking about DBM. We're not talking about creation of Christ. I'm just talking about a, a, a healthy, strong Bible study, no matter what strategy you use. If you want a healthy Bible study, the highest priority must be obedience. It cannot be hidden or understated. Our pursuit does not begin with a fawning for knowledge. Rather, our heart's desire is to affirm the words of God. And so for the facilitator, as you lead your Bible study, the biggest thing, whether it's one-on-one, it's -on -one, group, I don't know, whatever the dynamic is, you have to be encouraging and leading by example that we will obey the Word of God. When the Word of God is, is given to us, we say yes. We say yes. You can't convince other people to say yes, and, and especially if they're lost, but I say yes. If God tells me something and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the Word of God with you, I say yes. We do it. 
I got this flesh, I got the spirit, I know it's a battle. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to deny the, the flesh. I'm going to walk in the spirit. Number two, transparency. Transparency. If you want a healthy Bible study, people are going to have to learn that they're going to have to be transparent. When people open up to others, opportunities for vulnerability and sincerity are created. People can begin to be sincere in this world where all they want to do is be surface. In these moments, the Bible becomes more than a rule book and can shine specifically on real life situations for those who are attending. Can you guys see when, when you are vulnerable, when you're transparent with others, that you create opportunities for sincerity, a, a, a venue, an environment where, where people can be sincere with you, with one another, with the Lord. Now the Bible isn't just like, you know, well, this is what the Bible says and you should do it. No, they're going, it's working in your life. You revealed so much in, in, in the things that you're struggling with and you're, and you're showing me how God is giving you victory. Because why? You're obedient. And so we want that opportunity for transparency. Even still, and this is a warning, guys, transparency is not the goal. How many of you guys have ever had this Bible study where everyone's just bawling, and you're like, wow, that was such a great Bible study, and everyone's like wiping their eyes, and oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and not a lick changes. Man, I've been a part of too many Bible studies where like, well, man, you know, whatever, it's not boring, you know, like, that was such a great Bible study, and I'm like, no, it wasn't. Everyone just got emotional. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Listen, if that transparency takes me somewhere, well, now we're talking. See, the transparency is a vehicle. You're trying to create an atmosphere where people are going to say, listen, I do deal with that. I do struggle with that. And that happens because you're being transparent, but transparency is not the destination. It's not like, yay, let's all just have a cry fest. Please. I had too many of those. And everyone's bawling, and I'm just like sitting there because I'm like some old man. <laughs> In my, because I've, I've lived a little bit, I'm like, nothing's going to happen about this. <laughs> this guy's still going to struggle with porn. This guy's going to be doing this. I'm like, nothing's happening here. Come on. Right? Do you see what I'm talking about? We, it, it, that can't be the goal. It's the vehicle. It's the vehicle that brings us closer to the goal. Our openness must lead us to what? Obeying God. Number three, humility. Pride in the scriptures breeds a culture of one-upmanship. It is toxic and must be checked. We cannot allow pride in the Bible study. Man, so-and-so brought a great word or whatever they shared with us was so incredible, even in a DBM context, and now I'm going, well, what can I share? <sighs> you got one audience, man, and he's not impressed. He's not impressed with your wisdom, your intellect, your wit. Our Bible studies are not about what you know, but that you are known. If you get that down, if you can understand that, that if, if, if I'm going to obey my creator, I want to create an atmosphere to where we are transparent with one another. That's not the goal, that's the vehicle. And we're going to do it in a manner that's, that's humble before our God. Bible studies, man, if, if you can create a Bible study where, where people leave going, I'm known by the creator. I'm known by God. He knows me. He knows my name. He knows the hairs on my head. Does that create arrogance? Does that create pride? Man, it creates thankfulness, humility. 
And so many times when we do a Bible study, it's easy to see what's wrong in others. It's another thing to humbly walk with someone to show them how they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Number four, readiness. This is a willingness to participate. You guys want to have a healthy Bible study? Maybe you're not the Bible study facilitator. Maybe you're just coming to a Bible study. You want to know the best way you can support that facilitator? You want to know the best way to support that leader? Is be ready. Be prepared. When we're studying Philippians 2, man, you can't wait to support the facilitator because you know Joe's coming and Joe doesn't know the Lord. And man, you want that guy to know the Lord. And so I'm going to be there. I'm going to be ready. You know, there's so many times I've led Bible studies and I've been trying to train up that guy and I've been trying to, 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 to raise a guy up and I've been trying to give him instruction. And, and one of the things that, that I'm looking for, really, will he just come prepared? Will he show up consistently? You're like, well, that, that's a pretty low bar. I know. <laughs> it's a really low bar. I don't have a lot of expectations. Are you going to show up? Are you going to engage? Will you be ready? Will you be willing you see, see, readiness is a mind of preparation and execution. Entering Bible study begrudgingly will make the sweetness of your study unsavory. And doesn't it only take one? Just one fly and the ointment. Man, and everyone's coming together and one guy's just like, man, so what do you think you're learning? I don't know. I don't know. And what they're wanting, they're wanting to take you like, well, okay, well then, and now everyone does this. Well, man, how can we pray for you, brother? And, and guess what? They, they, they're, they weren't ready, they weren't prepared, and so they, they bogard what could be a sweet time in the Word. And especially if the person's already saved, if they're lost, man, we got grace, obviously. But if they're saved, well, what are they doing? They're robbing this person. You got new life in Christ? My life's better than yours. Is there a readiness? And five, edification. The goal is to build up others in the faith, knowing God has been faithful. I gave you verses on a lot of these. I didn't give you any for edification. There's, there's so many that you could, that you could to, uh, do your own Bible study. If we had the time to study edification, what you'll realize is that edification, which is the building up of our faith, is not the building up that we would be more faithful that we would be better. Edification is not to make us super Christians. I'm edified. I'm so strong. No, it's to realize that God's been strong on your behalf. Edification is realizing that God's been faithful. Bible study should produce that. At the end of Bible study, what do we realize? We are in awe of God, not in awe of now what I'm going to accomplish. Okay, now, oh, well, all these things about the Bible, okay, I'm going to do better next time, God. That's not edification, and it's not going to produce humility. It's going to produce arrogance. And it's going to produce guilt in the future, which is going to produce sin. It is not about you becoming better, stronger, fitter, all these things about being a Christian. At the end of Bible study, what we want for lost or saved is to look at the Word of God and say, God, you've been faithful. You've been good. In a second, I'm going to hand this over to Brandon, and, and he's going to talk about defining the DNA. But, but before we do that, I want to talk about the seven-step process of edification. Again, if you do a word study on this, on, the, on this word, edification is not that we as believers are growing stronger in our faithfulness. It's not that I'm becoming more faithful. It is realizing that Christ is strong enough despite my weaknesses. 
Now, here's the thing. I taught this at Living Faith just a few weeks ago. We've been in a, a, a local church series, and we've been talking about the need for edification in the local church. But I found that it would be healthy for us as well. When the believer realizes that God has been faithful, amen? When, when, we, when we realize that God has been faithful to us, a sequential process begins in our lives. And in this process, when I believe that God has been faithful, when I learn that God has been faithful, when the word of God has been opened to me and I, and I realize, God, you've been good to me, that produces, number one, trust. Now, we all want to say, I've trusted God as my Lord and Savior, but sometimes that can be, a, uh, even though it's a true thing that's happened in us, over time it can be just like an intellectual understanding. Do you believe God? Of course I believe God. Do you trust God? Of course I trust God. No, no, but the edification process takes those words and makes them a reality. And so as I truly understand that, God, you've been faithful, I see it in your word, I trust him. And from that place of trusting God, I now realize that I'm safe in God. That, 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 that I don't get my safety from the world, my, 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 my wife, or maybe for a young guy, young guy his girlfriend, or, or, or for, for that relationship they have, or for their family dynamic, for their money. No, I, I'm not safe in those things, but I, I realize I am safe in God. And from that safety in the Lord, we, it produces, and we can see how our comfort only comes from God. And as I realize that 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 I can trust God and that I'm, I'm safe in God and that, I'm, and that I can only be comforted by God, well, that produces a thankfulness. And now the only thing, and, and, and I, I say this from a Bible study context, obviously I say this from a, from a, a, a whole, uh, the, the totality of our walk as well, but as I find that I'm comforted in God, I'm not comforted by, by medication, I'm not comforted by my friends, I'm not comforted by by community or, or, or my resources, I'm comforted in God. God, you've been faithful. I trust you. I know I'm safe in you, and I know I'm comforted by you. From that, thank you. God, you've been good. And it produces thankfulness, not arrogance. And from that place of thankfulness, I learned, God, you've been so good to me. What's the next thing? I'm going to obey you. And this is where a lot of times we, 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 we struggle because we don't go through this sequential process. And many Christians, because their desire is to obey the Lord, they start with obedience and they, they, they want to start following God. But usually that, that ends up being a work of the flesh. What I'm, what I'm suggesting is if we get to a place in our Bible study where, where we realize that, God, you've been faithful, I trust you. You are my safety. You comfort me. Thank you, God. I want to obey you. Because of those things now, the residual effect, almost like the, the process is obedience. The great thing about obedience is when we obey the Lord, when we keep his commandments, when we follow after his precepts, well, that produces the fruit of God. And I'm actually not referring just simply to fruit in a sense of offspring. I'm suggesting the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is created in our lives as we choose to obey God. Because in obeying God, in obeying His Word, I'm keeping His commandments, and I'm looking like Christ. 
Therefore, I'm bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when I look like Christ and I'm bearing that fruit, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to bear fruit. And from that place of looking like Christ, I'm, the fruit of the Spirit of God is present in my life because of obedience. From that place of, of looking like Jesus Christ, I'm able to then make disciples. That's edification. And your Bible study can, can begin that process in you. Last thing I want to say, you have, you have a diagram, a little, little, little chart and we talked about creation of Christ. We talked about the, the philosophy behind Bible studies. We've talked about the, the, the five things that you want in a Bible study. And we talked about this edification process. But as I get off the stage, the thing I want to show you is, is that, that you're looking for these things to just, to just continue to evolve in your Bible study. And, 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 and by God's grace, it would. It would start with evangelism. And, and you'd have this cycle of growth that occurs and, and, and as the, the Bible study grows, and we're going to talk more about this on day three, but as the Bible study grows, then we look for opportunities to divide it, to scatter, to do Acts 1-8. And from, from that place of division, well, guess what? From dividing, we have one Bible study becomes two. Those two Bible studies continue to grow, and we evangelize in those settings, and they grow, and then they divide, and we have four, and we do it all over again. And your Bible study will have those cycles. And it'll, it'll have dry spots too, but it'll have those cycles. And so, anyway, I think I went a little too long. I apologize for that. Brandon, you want to come up? Hopefully that has been beneficial review, but also um, just encouragement on how you can actually uh, have that healthy Bible study. I think I'm on. Thanks, dude. Uh, Okay, so I'm, I'm going to chat with you guys a little bit about, um, about what it looks like to ensure that as things grow, that the, the DNA is retained, like the philosophy of ministry, the approach, the hunger, the urgency in Bible study, that that remains intact. We all understand that as churches grow, we probably observe this or have seen it, that you, you oftentimes get further and further away from the original purposes that you set out uh, to achieve, Right. And so um, we've, many of us have, have watched churches that we really respect that, that held to a preserved word position over time as they grew and got more focused on other things as, as, as mission creep set in. Um, they got off track and, and they, they began to emphasize other things and who they were originally, they no longer were that thing anymore. And that can happen in Bible study too. Um, when I first came into the College of Young Adult Ministry, I took over for Dan, what was that, seven years ago now? Six and a half? Is it seven yet? Uh, yeah. Seven. Seven years. Uh, there were six really healthy Bible studies in place when I first came into the ministry. In, in the last seven years, you know, so we, one of the things that Dan and I talked a lot about as the transition took place was the need for the ministry to be more evangelical. And I knew in my mind that what that meant was we were going to emphasize Bible study. That, that, that was going to be the vehicle for evangelism in our ministry. And, and he and I spoke about that a lot. And so we, we began to do things to emphasize that. Now we are, seven years later, at 44 Bible studies in the college and young adult ministry, and uh, with plans of, of, of starting many more this year, this, in, the, in the coming year, because, again, the more Bible studies there are, the more, um, the more 
representation we have in terms of the gospel and our church in different communities, different campuses, different areas of our city, the more leaders that I'm training, uh, the more prayer that's taking place. Uh, so, so there's just a lot of benefit from, from approaching ministry this way, and it's, and it's been really wonderful to watch. But as it's grown, what I've recognized is that there's a greater need for me to, to focus my energy on the leaders that lead those Bible studies, because I can't afford, we can't afford as a church to see uh, any of these leaders get, um, lose focus or, or, or emphasize the wrong things. And so there's a few things that I do uh, to make sure that our Bible studies are healthy. And so one of the things that I started doing uh, a few years ago was to have Bible study leader meetings every month. And, and so what I do is I meet with all my Bible study leaders, and other leaders in our ministry also attend that, but the emphasis is on Bible study itself. And so I meet with the guys once a month, and I meet with the girls once a month with, without fail, really. Um, I take that time really seriously. So we gather together, and we sit down for about an hour and a half, and we talk about uh, what things we got going on in the ministry, right? We talk about our events and, and things that are happening in Kaya, things that we can improve as a ministry as a whole. But then we, we talk about Bible studies. We talk about counseling issues in their Bible studies, things that come up that are difficult for them to deal with. We talk about our philosophy of ministry. We talk about um, what it looks like for them to lead. Uh, I let them kind of, this is an opportunity for me to let them behind the veil a little bit and be honest with them about ministry and how difficult it can be and, and the responsibility of leadership and, and all of the things that, that we talk about and um, and we talked about really at Certainty Conference this year was a huge part of what we talked about. The Certainty Conference is what it looks like to invite leaders in uh, the next generation into responsibility in the ministry. So we have that meeting once a month. And then we also um, do meetings once a year with every single Bible study. Now, that was easy for me to do when it was like 16 or 17 or 18 Bible studies. I could do that. And so, you know, every other week I was meeting with Bible studies. They'd come into my home. I'd invite them. And the cool thing about Bible studies, like I said, is, is that they're comprised of, of, of maybe um, four or five members of our church and two people who've never met me before. They've just been attending Bible study. They've never even shown up to church before. They may or may not be lost. And so they're coming to my house, and we're eating food, and we're hanging out. And then we would have conversations about ministry. Now, as the ministry has grown, now that there's 44, I can't, I'm, I can't be responsible for that. So I've handed this job off to uh, a man in our ministry named Alex Allen, and he is now the director of Bible studies. And his responsibility is to meet with every Bible study within a year, which is still fairly impossible. So we're looking at expanding his role to maybe two people. But, um, and he has this meeting. Now, when we meet, these are the things that we talk about. And this, so I'm going to do this fairly briefly because we want to leave time for Q&A at the end. Here's the things that we talk about without fail with every Bible study every single year. And the very first thing we do, we sit down, we chat, we, you know, and then we say, okay, guys, what is Bible study? What does Bible study have to be? What do, the, do our small groups have to be? Well, first of all, they have to be focused on prayer. And so we talk about what kinds uh, of prayer need to be made in the context of Bible study. So we talk about how every time when you gather to meet, you should be praying. You should beginning with, be beginning with prayer. You should be ending with prayer. Why? Because we can do nothing without God. So don't, don't imagine for a second that the Bible study itself or your leadership or, or your hard work 
has anything to do with fruitfulness or blessing or honoring and magnifying God. God is not pleased with just our hard work. He wants to hear from us, and he wants to be the one that gives the increase. We talked about this yesterday when we read from 1 Corinthians 13. So then neither is uh, is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. And so it's got to be about him, and we've got to call on him for help. And so We pray at the beginning of Bible study, at the end of Bible study, because we want to hear from him and we want him to work in our lives. We pray between Bible studies. We communicate with the leaders in each group, kind of communicate with each other about what's going on in ministry and what they can be praying for in one another's life. A lot of our small groups have WhatsApp chats. Right? And, and in those chats, they can be fairly honest about what's going on. They ask for prayer. They make prayer requests. Uh, they, they, they ask, hey, will you pray for my coworker? I want to invite them to Bible study next week, and I'm not sure what they're going to say. Or, or, hey, will you pray for my, my, my aunt or my sister because they're not saved? And, and so there's, these, are, these are kingdom prayers. Right? We're, we're focusing on kingdom prayers. And so that's why I present to the, to the small group is, are you making kingdom prayers? Is that a part of the culture of your small group? The next thing we talk about is the need for fellowship. Now, fellowship is not just friendship. Though we want there to be friendship in the small groups, we want people to love each other. We want people to like each other. That's important. That's not always easy to do, but we want that. We want people to like each other and enjoy each other, enjoy each other's companionship and friendship. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we recognize that fellowship centers around the Word of God and the accountability of the Word of God, right? And so we have to hold each other accountable. So in this small, again, imagine, imagine the meeting. You've got a leader. You've got their assistant or their associate or other leaders. You've got someone who's not even saved. You're talking to them about the need for prayer and fellowship maybe coming to this meeting. And they're all here. The small group is there with you. And you're like, look, we need to not just study the word of God, but we need to hold each other accountable to the word of God. And you have to be doing that with each other. So at the end of each time you guys do Bible study, you make application and you say, you know, I think God's showing me blah, blah, blah. The moment you verbalize that is the moment that you're asking for the people in that small group to hold you accountable. And they will. And so does everyone understand that that's a really important part of what we're doing? And that's, I kind of, I communicate that to them. I get the head nods and I want to make sure they understand that being a part, a part of small group means that they're being held accountable in fellowship. Okay. Um, then I, I talk about hospitality. I want to I move fairly quick here. I don't want to get preachy. So um, I talk about hospitality. Now, when you gather for small group, there needs to be food, especially if it's a bunch of dudes. It's harder for the guys. The guys, you know, the guys will bring a few bags of Funyuns and some Mountain Dew and everything's good. The girls, it takes a little more prep generally. The girls are actually more intentional in this, in this area. But hospitality is really important. Uh, breaking a little bread, um, sitting in a circle, right, I think is important. Uh, it's a class, this is a classroom setting, Rose, right? Sitting in a circle. Someone's responsible for setting up chairs. Someone's m- responsible for making sure that your apartment doesn't stink like feet, um, right? Like, the, like the, when people show up to your house, when they show up to your apartment, okay, uh, you want to make sure that, that they feel welcome, that they feel apart, that they feel loved. One of the things that I always talk about is that when the, a guest shows up or multiple guests show up, that we're sitting next to them. We're distributing ourselves uh, around these people in a way that supports them, but also so we can help them in their Bible study, right? You really want to have someone that you trust sitting next to the new guy 
Because when the new guy opens their Bible, they need a friend to, to very, in a very hospitable way, show them how to study the Bible. Hey, okay, this is how the concordance works. Let me show you real quick. And so we want to show kindness and love to the people that show up, um, especially if our, we're, we're emphasizing evangelism and loving people. Um, the way that we present ourselves says a lot about how we care for people. And if, and if the environment is, is you know, stinky and, and unclean and, and not prepared, then, uh, then people aren't going to be able to um, attend to God's word the way that they should. The next thing that we talk about when, they're, when we're gathered together, I'll tell the Bible study, look, Bible study needs to be Bible study. We actually need to emphasize the study of the Word of God. And so when you gather together, we get it. There's, you want to chat, you want to talk, you want to have fun. But remember that the bulk of the time needs to be spent in God's Word. Because if we, if we leave our small group setting and we haven't heard from the Lord, then we haven't really done a whole lot. All right? So we need to hear from the Lord. That's why we call it Bible study. And so we want to emphasize studying the Bible. And not only that, this is my opportunity with, again, Lost people, leaders, everything in between, sitting down, and we're chatting about what is a Bible study. This is where I, I envision them to recognize that they need to contribute to Bible study. Every Bible study's got the quiet person that doesn't, that doesn't say a whole lot. Everybody, every Bible study has the guy that talks too much. So this is a way for me to remind them that everyone should be contributing, but everyone should be caring for one another and it's not stepping on each other's toes. So the pastor has an opportunity to speak, speak into the Bible study and remind them of the DNA. We want to prefer one another when we talk. But, but that doesn't mean to the neglect of sharing because we also need to hear from you. you we need you uh, to bless us by sharing what God is showing you. Don't, don't hold that back. We need to hear from you. And so again, that's a way for me to cast vision and, and to share with those folks. And the last thing is, I, or sorry, not the last thing. Uh, the next thing is I, I, I tell them that, that the group needs to be evangelistic. And I tie this back into prayer, the need to pray, but I also remind them that it's going to require boldness on their part, that they're going to have to not be afraid to share the gospel. They're not going to, they have to not be afraid to invite their coworkers to Bible study. They need to not be afraid to invite their schoolmates to Bible study. They need to not be afraid to invite their friends or family to Bible study. They need to not be afraid. Because if the small groups aren't evangelistic, then what the heck are we even talking about? Like, what are we even trying to do here? <clears throat> um, if, if, you, if you, again, historically, our churches like ours have really put a lot of emphasis on uh, making Bible study doctrinal and equipping, and we go and we study the Bible and we beat our chests and we're like, yes, sword of God. Go take an LFBI class if you're trying to go deep and, be, you know, and learn how to lead that way. But if we're looking for ways, if our churches are looking for ways to open the Bible with lost people, that's a whole nother thing, right? That's a whole nother thing. And if you think you're going to conduct one of those Bible studies that we're calling evangelical and that people are just going to show up, they're not. They're not, right? They're not just going to randomly knock on your door and be like, hey, I heard that there was a Bible study meeting here tonight. They're not going to do that. They have to be invited, which means that the people who call the small group their Bible study have to do the work of inviting people. And I remind them of that. Not only that, I remind them of their need to be strategic. 
So we've got Bible studies that meet in the neighborhoods. We've got Bible studies that meet two or three blocks this way. We've got Bible studies that meet on different campuses. We've got, what, 10, maybe 15 Bible studies that meet at UMKC on different nights of the week, every night of the week almost. We've got Bible studies, multiple, that meet on the, on the campus at the Art Institute. Um, we got, we've got um, Bible studies in apartments. We've got Bible studies in homes. Each of these Bible studies are responsible for establishing a strategy to reaching people. I don't tell them what that needs to be. I don't tell them all, I don't, I don't create an event calendar for them throughout the year that says, okay, you're going you're gonna to have a, a, a Christmas party and you're going to invite people to come to that or you're going to do a board game night. I don't tell them what to do. I say, okay, as a small group, it's, you're responsible for finding ways to get the, the lost involved in your group. And so you can have little parties here or there, or what are some things that you might do? And then I let them brainstorm. And so they'll brainstorm through a bunch of different ideas or strategies that they might take to reach their campus or to reach their neighborhood or reach their apartment complex or whatever, reach their workplace. Whatever it might be, they get, to, they get to work together as a team to establish what strategies that they might use to reach people. Now, think about that for a second. When you've got 44 or 50 or 100 Bible studies that are doing that in your city, do you understand? Like what was once just a foolish idea is manifesting real. Like just a foolish idea that, oh yeah, we can win all of Kansas City to Christ, which is what I believe. Okay, I believe that we can win. We can win this city to Christ. I believe it, okay, with all my heart. Now, six Bible studies becomes 44 in just a matter of a handful of years. What can your church do? What can your church do with the resources that you have? Maybe it just starts with four or five healthy Bible studies. Maybe, maybe there are Bible studies in your church that need to be overhauled. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. All I know is what I'm responsible for. What I've seen and what I've observed in my experience is that there's a possibility that the college and young adult ministry at Midtown Baptist Temple can plant churches, can be a part of planting churches year over year and still have growth here on campus and that we probably can sustain 100 Bible studies in just our college and young adults ministry year over year perpetually moving forward and still plant churches regularly. Now that math, I've done that math a lot. It feels logical. It's probably not. It's probably completely unreasonable. But I believe that, that, that we can grow up leaders that we give away to the work and still continue to have 100 Bible studies all over our city that are constantly reaching the lost, getting discipled, getting equipped, and then moving out the back door. Just over and over again. I believe it, and I believe, that, I believe that you can have that in your church too. But the Bible studies do have to be healthy, and they do have to be consistently envisioned in the work. The very last thing I, I, I remind them is that the Bible study is an opportunity for leadership training. And so I can tell everyone in the group that they have a responsibility to function as a leader. When you come to Bible study, what part do you play? Do you help set up the chairs? Do you bring the snacks? Are you contributing? Are you asking the leader of that Bible study how, how you can be involved and what can you do? 
Are you faithful? And so I call them to faithfulness. I call them to consider that there's not just a facilitator leader, but all of you are leaders in this small group, and this Bible study belongs to you. And the, and the, and the, the success of this Bible study, and, the, and really the success of your sanctification, is contingent on whether or not you choose to be faithful and obedient to the work. And will you be? And so I have this meeting every year. Now I don't have it anymore. Alex has it. And, and, uh, and we continue to, to remind our Bible studies over and over again uh, of what they're supposed to be. And, and we, we instill a sense of urgency. And then we turn them loose for the year and, and they get to work. And so that's, that's what we do. And I think that that's important is to, to continue to remind them of the DNA. Now, this last portion, I guess, is Dan and I are both going to contribute. We're going to talk about different aspects of Bible study, and, and we've got about, the good news is we've got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes left together, and there should be room for us to have some Q&A at the end uh, of our time. And so if you've got questions or whatever, just write them down off to the side so that you don't forget them. If something comes to your mind, and we'll try to get it addressed uh, here before the end of our time together. Do you want me to lead this part? Okay, okay. So, yeah, you can see we've worked through this real well. Um, the thing about knowing a guy for a real long time, you feel good about winging it a little bit. I feel uh, good but about maybe telling we, you to do it. What? I feel good about telling you to lead. Okay, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. Okay, so yesterday Dan mentioned this, but there are, di- there are many different kinds of Bible studies in our churches. You can, envi- right now, you can envision what they're like. There's co-ed Bible studies, there's men's Bible studies, there's women's Bible studies, there's Bible studies that meet here or there. There's Bible studies that, you know, that meet in churches, and there's Bible studies that meet, you know, in other places. Okay, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of those things. And you might, complete, this is, you might completely disagree with us. I don't know. We're just going to share with you what we, what we think in all of the years of doing this and what we've seen. And, and, and we even had conversations this last week about this. Oh, sure. Like, we were working through our own thoughts, and, right. and, and it, which is okay. Yes, yes. It's okay. I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's not like... This Slightly is, different perspectives. And this has to be the one way to do it. No, it's just, no. It's just that there are pros and cons to the different, not only methodologies, but the ways that you set up your Bible study. And all of us are going to have to set up Bible study in different manners because yeah. of the age and stage and the locale of, of, of where you live or, or where you are in your life. Yeah. So. so let's talk about this very first one, which is group Bible study versus solo Bible study. And, and what, in what context you, you might do them. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk about both, and then I'll let you jump yeah. in. So we've been talking about group Bible study a lot, and we believe that that's a really great setting for evangelism to take place and to build community. And the, and the beautiful thing about that is if someone gets saved in the context of a group Bible study, they're already in church. They're one step away from being church members and getting discipled. They're already a part of the community. They already know people. It's a really easy move for them to transition into church life and and those types of relationships, but it's not always effective. You've got friends, and you've got acquaintances, and you've got coworkers who aren't going to come over to Joe's apartment across town, you know, because they don't know Joe, and and, they're antisocial, and, you know, they're just not an exciting idea about being around people that they don't know very well. And so a one-on-one Bible study would be a great alternative option, okay? And you can employ Discovery Bible Method. You can employ Creation to Christ. We actually would highly recommend this in a solo one-on-one setting. Um, but, but you can use these things one-on-one in order to share the gospel and invite the lost into Bible study. And both have their place and both have uh, their times in your life 
You know, I had a young man come up to, to Dan and I yesterday. I don't even know if Joel's in here today, but he's down, he goes to school down in Rolla. Uh, he does engineering school. And he's got, you know, a, probably a subpar church that he has to attend down there. And, uh, but, but he's doing that thing, and he comes back as often as he can, but he wants to do evangelism on campus. And um, we talked about with him yesterday the pros and cons of doing a gr- establishing a group study or having just several one-on-one Bible studies where you're just investing into another person. Dan, I don't know if you want to speak well, into that. I, I, think, I keep thinking, and, and how are you gifted? Like, like it, you may never be a facilitator because that might just not be your gifting, but you might be the absolute best person to sit down one-on-one with a coffee and just, just opening the book. And, and that's the great thing about the body of Christ is that all of us are gifted of God and, and we have different abilities that have been given by God. And, and so should you be part of a group Bible study? Man, I would recommend it, even if you weren't leading it. It's such a healthy thing and to support others but you may find that God really uses you in a one-on-one capacity. I know, so I still have a full-time job at, at a local college, and, and uh, I'm always looking for one-on-one opportunities with students. And that's just, that just fits the narrative of my job, and it probably does for a lot of you as well. Now, on a college level, that college age, that, that it kind of actually suits that group dynamic because a lot of young people are, are you're looking to be a part of, with other people that are your age, and so... That's really suitable. Maybe a neighborhood Bible study, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, would make sense for a group dynamic. But I would just say be, be okay with, with, with who God made you to be. And, and I, I think the more you do ministry, it's, it's just funny how we just constantly find ourselves in that spot. As, as you just follow the Lord, God continues to just nudge you along to where you are most effective in the work. And so be okay with with Maybe you're not the person. Maybe you've even tried. Maybe Brandon has said, okay, you're going to be the facilitator. And it just keeps like you just keep hitting a brick wall. But you also notice that every time you sit with someone one-on-one that God just moves. Yeah. Maybe then that's what God wants from you. And, but yet you're going to be the best sidekick. You're going to be the best person ever in that group to support Brandon yeah. or whoever it is. And so I think there is a dynamic where you want to figure out your gifting. And, and the way you do that, you don't take a test. You you just do ministry. You just, you just keep doing ministry. And as you do that, you're going to find your, your spot. And so anyway, I, I think yeah. you got to know who you are, how God's made you submit to the local church, be a part of group dynamic Bible studies because they're awesome. But maybe over time you'll realize that, man, how you're most effective is a one-on-one situation. Then explore that. And I think one of the things to keep in mind is there's, a, you know, if a Bible study has, you know, six, seven, eight people, man, how awesome would it be if a group Bible study if every one of those members was also doing a solo Bible study at work during their lunch break once a week. And then what happens when that person gets saved at work? Hey, you know what you ought to do is you've got to join my Bible study. And you should come and hang out with, there's a great group of guys that I meet with, a great group of girls that I meet with. And, and it's an, it, again, it's an easy step um, into greater and deeper fellowship at the point that that person comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. So you're, you're trying to figure out what the dynamic is of that relationship. Like, what's my dynamic with you? Like, like w- would this person that I barely know, he's just a, a, a friend at work, or this is my cousin that I've lived my whole life with, like, what's the dynamic and how comfortable will they be in that setting? Explore it. Figure out, how, we're, we're looking for ways to fish. 
this is just a methodology, and we're hoping that you guys can see an opportunity to use this, but the way in which you fish, whether it's, you know, fly fishing or whether it's, you know, big old net, um, I think you just got to trust the Lord with that. Why don't you go ahead and share the difference between neighborhood and um, campus Bible studies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, man, with a neighborhood, and, and I mean, Kaya does both. Yeah, but you also are, you've also done both personally, and I think you're working at doing more campus-related stuff as well. So. Yeah, and uh, man, I don't know. It, the biggest thing I think with a neighborhood is it's where you live. Like, it's, it's, it's like, it's where you live. We're, we're always saying, like, we don't have opportunities, and, and some of us, we, we work, how many of you guys work at home now? You have, like, maybe one day where it's, like, hybrid or whatever, and, and, and what do we think? Like, I don't have any opportunities. We live with people. You got the, like the local coffee shop or the restaurant or, or the park. And so the whole thing about a neighborhood, whereas the campus creates an opportunity where we, are, we all gather. With a neighborhood, you have to be intentional with people that live in that neighborhood, that go to your church, or you and your family, or maybe people from your Bible study that are attending that. Be intentional to, to reach out to people in that, in that setting. Uh, with a campus Bible study, I mean, I think it does create opportunities where Everyone's assembling together. You're all thinking the same things. You're taking the same classes, asking the same questions, same age demographic. And so you have a lot of opportunity with that as well. Um, Living Faith was planted as a neighborhood Bible study. And we went door to door. And, you know, we used an op- there was a park that was behind the guy's house that we started the Bible study in. And so we utilized that park. And we did a big block party. And for three weeks, we invited everyone, every door got knocked. Every, we, we put a little flyer in everyone's mailbox or whatever it was. I think that's illegal, by the way. Uh, but whatever we did, we, we, we let them have access to, you know, the Bible study. And we said, hey, we want to invite you to a block party. And we had, we had about 200 people there at this, at this party. Blade, am I, is that like pastor talk? I don't know. It's past. 250. <laughs> Blade's a pastor now, too. So. I was there. It was about, a, it was about 100 people. Yeah, yeah, you're, you, were you there? I was there, I okay, was, it was yeah. about 200, yeah. yeah. You, like how, you like how he did that? That was so mean. Anyway, this is our relationship. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, neighborhoods. So we did this, <laughs> and, and what we did is, is we, we, we gave him a little, little, like, brown sack. In that brown sack was just a little bit of liquor, right? No, no, we, 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 we gave him this brown sack, and it had, like, little toys for the kids and, and, and popcorn, and, uh, well, we wanted them to like us. And we had this little card that said, uh, we want to invite you to Bible study. And, and long story short, that's the story of how we got started, but, but uh, we had some people come, and that grew. And so that was a way. We, we fished in the neighborhood to bring those in. Now, that brings up a whole other conversation in regards to family dynamic, which I think we can get into. We'll get to that in a second. But, but yeah, so I think neighborhood is awesome. And if you're looking for opportunities, it's where you live, right? You know, so. And so for campuses... You know, uh, UMKC campus has 16,000 students on it. Some of you, the guys at Northside, that, I mean, Ohio State's, what, 60,000 people? There's enough fishing there to last you the rest of your life. I mean, you just work that ground forever, and, and there'll be people coming to Christ, and, and you'll have fruit. And, um, but one of the things that our, our, our groups do that are meeting on campus is that they spend time on campus handing out invitations. So we have, I meant to bring one out here, but we have a little black card that has, says Kaya on it. Um, we don't register our Bible studies with campuses. We don't want them to hardly even know that we're there. I prefer the guerrilla tactics, okay? Uh, like to go under the radar, 
Because generally speaking, the enemy wants to attack and they'll there's find ways so to do it. And there's so much uh, um, contention between like FCA and navigators and crew and all these other organizations that have sponsorships on campus. And they've got a whole other, I won't say anti-local church, but it sure feels like it sometimes, Personal. agenda. And um, and I've I, they've and I've gotten pulled into that nonsense before. I've had guys want to meet with me with completely ulterior motives. They didn't really want to be my friend. They wanted to steal fruit from the campus that we're ministering at. It's right. bizarre, bizarre stuff. Don't want to be involved with that. Under the radar, it's just a Bible study. Um, and we have these little cards that say Kai on them. And on the back side, there's a QR code. And when we hand these out, the students get them and they scan the QR and it pulls up. If you, if you want to look at it, you can. Uh, on our Kaya website, caya.live, we have a listing of all of our Bible studies. It's got a photo of the Bible study person. It says the day of the week, where that meeting is going to be at. It gives the cross street. We don't give addresses, but we give a contact because we don't want people to just show up that are creeps. So we give a contact. Um, if you Google Kansas City Bible study, uh, this, web, this page is the first page to come up. Um, we have people that reach out to us and, 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 uh, and call and say, hey, I was Googling Bible studies and <laughs> discovered your Bible study. May I come attend? That happens all the time. And, and so that's a pretty cool and exciting thing. And so that's one of the things that we do on campuses. We go out, we invite people, and we invite people to come to Bible study and to study the word with us. Um, Brian, are you laughing at me? Okay, well, <laughs> moving on. So family, family, the family thing, you, we got very, we've, we're eating this time up real fast. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about family stuff real quick? So that was a discussion we were having, and, and there is a benefit from having family Bible study. There's also a con to it in the sense that you're wanting opportunities to create transparency and vulnerability, and sometimes the, the wife or the husband will will not be willing to open up and, 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 and really allow the Word of God to touch them on a, on a deep personal level. Now, the pro of that is that a family who may know the Lord, may not know the Lord, is coming together as a family unit to hear God. And so I think the way that you can play with family is you can create opportunities where we all come together collectively. The family's coming together to where they're saying, this is what we're doing, lost or saved and avenues where the facilitator can grab dad, or, or you can even do this month, it's family time. March, we're gonna break it up into to moms and dads or whatever. Mm-hmm. With, with our Bible study that we began, we started having to have a children's ministry in the basement. And so if, if you're not prepared for th- those things, um, you're gonna be frustrated. I'm, I'm telling you, we'll, we, we've done it all and your host will be frustrated because their house is getting destroyed. And so you got to count the cost for these things when you do a family uh, Bible study. But vulnerability is a concern. And so if you're saying, well, no, well, then we're just going to do dads come this week, moms come this week, um, so that we don't have to do the child care thing. But if you're saying, no, man, I really want us all to come together, I would probably say some type of a hybrid would be really, uh, really a cool thing. Yeah, I think, I think if you're going to have a family-oriented Bible study, I think uh, having occasional breakouts where it's men separate from women, because I would have a real hard time, if I had something I was struggling with, I would have a real hard time saying it in front of Dan's wife. Like, oh, yeah, I've got this severe issue. I'm addicted to opiates. <laughs> I started imagining it. Yeah, right? I, like, I would have a hard time doing that. Um, 
And so I think having separate times is good too. In Kaya, uh, you know, it's easier. There's less married people. We only do guys and girls groups. Uh, but there are married people in Kaya, and um, they really appreciate the, the, the back and forth because dad can watch the kids, and mom can have a night out with the girls studying the word and having a good time and eating cupcakes yeah. or whatever the girls eat. And then dad, the mom can watch the kids, and dads can say, like, I ate some beef jerky with the boys tonight and studied the Bible. Right, and so they can alternate back and forth. And and, 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 and here's the thing: you're gonna go, no, we're gonna do the family Bible study dynamic, and and you will be convinced that for months it's going great, only to realize you're gonna get a phone call, uh, my husband's divorcing me, and you're gonna go, what? You've been coming to Bible study for months when they were never able to really dig into some of the things that they were dealing with. And so that's why I think, although, especially with church planting, the family dynamic Bible study, I think is actually a really important thing to consider. And it's a, it's a really, I think, valid avenue yeah. if you're going to try to plant in new areas, but you might want to think about a hybrid. Yeah. And then even further, you know, I had a friend of mine who, who started attending here and went to Bible study and he's a single guy. He went to a Bible study that was a, a co-ed Bible study when he got there He's looking around, it's all married couples, and he's a single dude, and he's like, okay. And the very first question someone asks him is, well, so where's your wife at? And he's like, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, like punching the gut a little bit. So, um, She's not here. She's not with us. She's not here. You know, it's like, what is he? <laughs> like, just puts him on the spot, and he's got to say something really, you know. But... Um, <laughs> So that, that can create a whole other problem. These are things, again, we're, we're trying to give you the pros and cons. These are things to be sensitive to. We're not trying to throw away one thing or the other. There's reasons to employ both in different circumstances. Uh, but, one, okay, go ahead. No, the last one is, is uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, is at the church. And, and that's something that we had because we had some of our leaders who lived a, a little bit further from our church and they were bringing people in and, and we thought, well, let's utilize the building. I think you guys have been doing that in a certain way. And honestly, sometimes using the church building makes it difficult for it to be evangelistic at times. And, and yet we've, we've seen that we haven't had any issue because people keep inviting. Sometimes having it at the church gives validity. Like some people will actually appreciate that because it seems like it's not like, you want me to come to your house? I'm, I'm okay, right? And so sometimes you can use the church building as an opportunity. Now, with that said, I think there's a con to that as well. Um, now, uh, Blade's dad does a Bible study at the church. Incredibly evangelistic. They're, they're, he's always bringing people that he's had good relationships with. These are established relationships where he's bringing them to. It's just the church setting. It's easy. It's easy for everyone to get to. It's closer. And so um, he's actually done a, a great job with that. But I would say, for the most part, for people who aren't saved, they're probably not. The first thing they're going to do is probably come to a church. In fact, and I, I, think, I think the same pattern bears. When I was the, the Kaya pastor, more people came to Bible study that came to Kaya. And it's probably the same now. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so we're trying to use Bible study as like the furthest outreach. Yeah to start bringing them in. So it's to try the, to, the mouth of the funnel. Yeah, and to, so to try to bring them to the church right away, um, that might not always work, but at the same time, you know the context. I would suggest do it all. Sure. Do campus, do family, do co-ed, do at the church, you know, do, do solo, do group. Like, and that's what we're doing sure. at Living Faith. And so I would suggest however God has gifted you, use that. But there are pros and cons. And so maybe I, think we're, I think the issue here is that we're all prone to not evangelize. 
That's the, that's, and so when we show up to church, I think it can be one more hurdle in the work of deploying the, the Bible study to actually do the work of meeting people where they're at. And so, so I think there are reasons to meet at the church. I also think that there's really, really, really good reasons for you to meet people where they're at. And so Bible studies in your neighborhood, if you're trying to reach people in your neighborhood, makes sense. If you're trying to reach people on campus, meeting for Bible study on campus makes sense. And so really being strategic in terms of, of uh, how you utilize space and environment. I well, think and, and, you know, and I've heard this before, you know, when you're doing, you know, even discipleship or an evangelistic Bible study, meet in their home. Because sometimes what happens, and you've, you've heard this, that you take the person who was lost and you bring them with you, they get saved, and then they enter back into their community and there's no understanding as to how that process uh, took place. You do Bible study in their home. Again, this is probably more of a solo, but, but you're meeting with dad and, and like the wife is watching while she's taking care of the kids. She sees the transformation happen in that place. In the same way that you said the transformation happens on campus. Uh, people can see it. And so that's another opportunity um, where you could actually, you're meeting with them on their territory, not taking them from it, uh, but actually finding a way to where, you know, the change happens right in front of everyone's eyes. Yeah. Cool. So that was brief, but good, but helpful, I hope. So we'll stop here. Any questions? So, uh, can someone run, the, Matthew, will you run that mic? There's a mic right there. If there was anyway. Is it still there? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and uh, any questions you have, just raise your hand and, and we'll try to answer some of those. Thanks, guys. Hey, question about just how do you determine when it's a hard field to plow and you need to keep on plowing versus maybe this is something that's not of the Lord. It's not hitting the, all the, the criteria of what a good, healthy Bible study is. You know, from my lens, it's doing a Bible study at work. Mm. Uh, most of the people are showing up on, in a virtual environment. We have like an hour window. Uh, been doing it for a couple of years. See elements of fruit, but not people getting plugged into a local church. But what's, a your, what's, your, what's your objective? Is your objective evangelism and getting them plugged into a local church? Is that your objective? I'm, yeah. I'm, that's probably kind of a little rhetorical. Yeah, the, the objective near term with the people that are showing up is actually just getting them into the word of God yeah. and having them learn how to read the Bible for themselves. But, 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 and I already know a little about your situation, so, but yeah. I'm helping everybody. Sure. These, most of these people are already churched. They're already in churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so I don't know what you're going to do with them. Yeah. Now, I think if, if you want to disciple people in other churches, um, that's something you probably need to take up with your fellowship pastor and, and discuss that. But if your objective is to evangelize and make disciples, maybe that Bible study, maybe you can leave them with the keys and someone else can lead it. Someone else who's someone else who's somewhat competent, and then you can go back to fishing. It's just, a, it just ba it depends on what you want to do. I mean, yeah. I think it's a decision you've got to make with, with your pastor and with confirmation from the Spirit. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do. Tough, yeah, tough. for sure. I think uh, wherever we are, we, we need to be fishing. And so I'm always looking in those settings where I feel like 
am, am I still supposed to be in this setting? Am I still, still supposed to be investing in this person? I feel like unless God is moving me on to another work, I just need to keep working. I just need to keep obeying. And so whether that's on the campus, whether that's in my neighborhood, I'm going to keep moving forward until God closes that door. Now, yeah, you want to be submitted to your pastor and see if the Bible study is effective. Um, but I'm convinced with your own personal walk with God that you're going to hear from the Lord, that you're, you're submitted to the leadership here. You know, is God moving you on to another work? And if he is, well, then it's going to be clear. I, I really believe so because um, I'm stubborn as all get out, right? And so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until God just says, okay, stop. You know, it's easier to, to, to move a car, right? The steering wheel of a car when it's, in, when, it's, when it's moving, right? Versus like stopping. I would just say, man, keep going. God's going to give you peace as to whether or not you need to, to move on from that or not. Listen to the leadership of the people that are in your life. But man, keep doing the work. Obey. Just obey the Lord. This seems to be at your workplace the most, the most conducive way for you to study the word of God with others. Yes, seems like a lot of Christians right now who are established or maybe a part of other churches. You're hoping to have in some way, although unconventional way, a way to get them to believe that the word of God can be the final authority of their lives. By God's grace, he can use that to have them reproduce that in their own places. I get that. I also get what Brandon's saying. Like, we could do that forever, right, and, and not accomplish the, the, the purposes of this local assembly. I believe that if you're sensitive to the Lord, though, he's going to show you when that door is going to shut, usually because there's going to be another work for you. You're not, he's not just going to be like, door shut, good luck figuring it out. Now, I, maybe that's how the Lord moves in your life, but, but whenever I've just been in the ministry, he reveals what's next. And so, and he'll reveal when it's like, okay, Brian, it's time, because you're needed here. You're needed more here than, than here. I just wondered if you have a number where you break off into two groups, like an ideal maximum for a mm, small group. You asked the, perhaps the most pertinent question that we're going to spend the majority of our time tomorrow talking about is multiplying yeah, actually, and dividing. Yeah, that's a good lead-in question yeah. for tomorrow. We're going to be discussing that. Now, I don't know if the particular details of the exact number, but we'll be talking yeah, about well, when I mean, to num number. That's a tricky question because it's not just numbers, but it's also um, the quality and character and readiness of the group. So there's, there are lots of variables involved, and I do think we're going to spend some time breaking those things down. Yeah. It's, it, it, are you going to be here tomorrow still, Gail? So we'll address that pretty in-depth tomorrow. Yeah. And if we don't, yell at us, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll make sure to get the question answered. Okay. All right. I think, I think we're out of time. Blade's got a question. We're, no, you got a question, bro. Come on. Well, now, uh, okay, so, so, this is a, again, this is a fairly big question. What, do you, is there a point at which you tell someone that they shouldn't come to Bible study? It's a two-part question. It's a two-part question. Because they don't have a study, that's a secondary yeah, part. Right. I don't personally believe that most people in the small group should be bringing a study. Depending on the, on it, the, on the style. Yeah, you're talking about DBM. If, if, I, if, if we're was, talking about DBM, 
Yeah. I, I, I don't think, it, I don't think it, it's necessary. Every, you're, doing, you're studying together. So I, I actually, you know, even for my, my, a lot of the leaders that are in small group, they don't need to do a whole lot of studying. They've got LFBI and they've got other, they're discipling people and they're doing studying. They have, they have a personal walk with the Lord. The facilitator needs to be ready. Perhaps other leaders in the group also need to be ready in some way or, or manner, um, especially if you task them to be. But I think for the most part, people should come to the group expecting that we're going to study together and that's going to be a blast. And so it just depends. If you're doing a different kind of Bible study that's not like what we've been discussing, then, then it might be necessary to bring a study. But laziness, I think laziness can be addressed. I, um, I feel like you're talking about a specific person. Maybe Dan can, maybe Dan can speak into it. No, I, I think, okay, so part one of that, if, if there's a divisive person, yes. If, if the person is divisive and they're trying to actually hurt the work of God in people's lives, yes. Um, I, I always say at some point people tell you the truth. At some point people tell you the truth with their, with their actions, with their words in some way. And so they're telling you the truth. The, the, the person, that, unless they're being divisive, that person who's just continually not doing anything, they're just telling you where they're at. And so to me, I don't think, unless they're divisive and they're hindering the work and others, keep coming. But they're letting everyone know where they are. Mm-hmm. Now you have the responsibility to say, whether it's DBM or otherwise, God has called us to be invested in his word. And so you can guide that in a certain way so that the person who's there is not looking like the example. They're not the example of what we want to be. And so I think there's a way that you can lead one-on-one with others so that they can see what the example should be, whatever that example is. But the only reason I would kick someone out is if they're divisive. Otherwise, keep coming. I'm praying they grow. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.